don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. Welcome, crew, back to another episode of the Crypto Economy Podcast. I've not... I don't have my coffee. Whoop, beer back. Okay, and now I am properly prepared with my coffee underneath my sound fort, uh, which is a blanket draped over my monitor and myself getting hot while I talk to nobody in particular. Um, so, I wanted to hit one today. Uh, this is another one by Turdemeester, um, and uh, it is... Uh, talking about the price action um, and kind of where we might see. This was released on August 2nd, so it's just a couple of days back. Um, and uh, particularly with uh, in the last couple of days, we've seen a really sharp drop through uh, one of the trend lines that I was wondering if it might hold. Um, but now maybe we'll see new lows. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, We're kind of in an iffy area right now. So uh, because of that, I've been reading a lot of other people's discussions about the price and you know what's going on, what their take on it is, and I really enjoyed uh, this short one from Turdemeester, uh, who obviously we have read on the podcast before. Definitely follow this guy on Twitter uh, if and Medium if you are not. Uh, if you're not, I don't know what you have been doing in crypto if you have somehow missed Turdemeester. Um, so, uh, with that, uh, let's just go ahead and jump into his article and then we'll hit some commentary and I'll kind of give my perspective and where I think I agree and maybe disagree with him on certain things. Um, uh, with his article, Bitcoin, we don't expect new highs in 2018. Despite an already six-month cool-off period, for 2018, we see more sideways and downside potential in the Bitcoin price due to sluggish retail demand, hesitation from institutions, and a current market cap that seems too high relative to on-chain activity. Many investors and advisors are on record stating that $5,700 was the bottom in Bitcoin for this year and that higher prices lie ahead. While we are very bullish on Bitcoin's long-term prospects, we do heed caution for more short-term price optimism. To find the starting point in the historic parabolic rally in Bitcoin that ended at $20,000, we have to go back as far as August 2015 when Bitcoin traded at below $200. This past rally was a stupendous historic move. Even in secular bull markets, the collective of economic actors need time to absorb the information embedded in its characteristic high-volume rallies. Begin tweet by Peter Brandt. In my 43 years as a trader, there has never been a move like Bitcoin. The only other market that achieved a superior parabolic advance was German interest rates in 1920s. Even taking a starting point of $1, Bitcoin redoubled 16 times. End tweet. 
As I've indicated in my 2018 outlook, I think chances are high for this year to be remembered as a shakeout year, a lemon market in altcoins, regulators catching up, and infrastructure growing pains. Let's look at some data. Since January, the Bitcoin mining hash rate, aggregate computations per second made to secure the network, has tripled, which means that a huge amount of new or more efficient mining rigs have come online. In combination with declining prices, this means that miners who weren't able to upgrade their machines or find cheaper electricity have been faced with a steep decline in profitability, a 90% drop in seven months. Altcoins have faced similar or steeper declines. With profit margins under heavy pressure, it's not unlikely that miners are and will stay responsible for a significant amount of selling in the market. Next, trading volumes are not dead, but still below those seen last winter and spring. It's unclear how much of the recent pickup in volumes are the result of a short squeeze and how much are coming from new long-term buyers coming in. After last year's FOMO, retail interest in Bitcoin has now become very sluggish. Point. A Gallup poll conducted three months ago suggested that less than 0.5% of U.S. investors, quote, will probably buy Bitcoin in the near future, end quote. Point. Despite transaction fees and volatility having dropped strongly, merchants are seeing plus 50% lower Bitcoin revenues compared to last fall. Point. Google searches are not suggestive of a quick retail-fueled recovery either. Next, here's some comments we've gathered from Bitcoin analysts, market makers, and Wall Street insiders. The first Bitcoin ETF will likely not be approved before 2019, so any anticipation of approval by September will likely be met by disappointment. While institutional investors are certainly getting involved in Bitcoin, the vast majority of the firms are trading firms who are looking to make markets regardless of price. They're just as happy to take on short positions as they are to go long. Institutions who are known to be long biased, such as mutual funds and pension funds, are not ready to invest because they're not yet comfortable with the available custody solutions. And then there's also the NVM ratio, which is designed to reflect early stage adoption, now suggesting that there's now too little on-chain activity to justify Bitcoin's current market cap. The assumption here is that Bitcoin's market value is mostly derived from it being a network that connects users around the world. The more people and entities use the Bitcoin blockchain to settle transactions, the more acquires the liquidity and utility that we'd expect from a digital gold. The NVM ratio approximates that by measuring daily active addresses on the blockchain. Similar valuation models have been made for growth companies such as Facebook and LinkedIn where the number of monthly active users reasonably correlates with enterprise value. The related NVT ratio, which tries to measure if the daily dollar value of all Bitcoin transactions is relatively high or low versus the market cap, also suggests overvaluation. Finally, in the past few months, we've also seen a number of macro events that would appear to be bullish for Bitcoin as a safe haven. 
the North Korea debacle, a spike in volatility, Chinese stocks breaking down, etc. However, these shocks didn't move the meter for Bitcoin. Begin tweet. At Crypto Balts. Anyone else waiting for alt season to finally dump underwater bags while promising themselves they'll do it better this time? Or is it just me? BTC, hashtag second chance, hashtag crypto, hashtag lesson learned. End tweet. All this being said, lower Bitcoin prices ahead are not a foregone conclusion. Point. Bitcoin price has already come down by 62% since December. Point. Since March, the Chinese yuan has dropped by 8% against the dollar. If this slide continues, Chinese capital could flee into Bitcoin. Point. Bitcoin dominance is gaining ground, which we think indicates the market's slow realization that there's a large moat around the Bitcoin ecosystem now, which will make it hard to dislodge. Point. The 2015-17 rally was historic, but not entirely unique for this ecosystem. Between late 2011 and April 2013, the Bitcoin price multiplied by 100x, and after a 6-month correction, it multiplied again by 10x. Point. Value investors are already anticipating the May 2020 block reward halving, which will cut down Bitcoin's annual supply inflation from 3.7% to only 1.79%. And final point, a Bitcoin ETF approval, even if it's delayed, would be a huge deal because it makes the asset extremely accessible for the retail investor. After the first gold ETF went live in 2004, the gold price rallied by 350%, and it's still 200% higher today. The 2017 rally has also set in motion a flurry of corporate activity on the blockchain infrastructure side, and the promise of established banks, brokers, payment processors, and security providers offering their own solution suites is catching the attention of value investors. Conclusion. We think the market likely needs more time to absorb the recent 30-month rally, which could produce lower prices. We don't foresee new all-time highs in Bitcoin for 2018, and unless data starts suggesting differently, we are expecting mostly sideways or lower price action. Footnote. There are several objections one could raise against the NVM ratio. It doesn't take into account transaction amounts, nor the difference between old and new addresses. It doesn't discount spam attacks, it doesn't acknowledge limitations to the block size, and neither does it consider institutions coming into the market or who build derivatives on Bitcoin that rely on a small amount of high-value cold storage addresses. More work is needed to refine valuation models. That said, even though Bitcoin's core value proposition is store of value, we do think we're still in the early adoption phase, and hence, using a valuation metric that reflects this adoption makes sense to us. In that context, we think the NVM's on-chain activity-based valuation method has merit. Disclaimer. The above references an opinion and is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be investment advice. Seek a duly licensed professional for investment advice. 
All right, and that will do it for Tur Demeester's excellent little piece on kind of breaking down where we are in the Bitcoin price. Again, titled Bitcoin, We Don't Expect New Highs in 2018. Um, so there's a, uh, I want to hit a couple of little things here is one, um, I want to talk about the NVM and MVT ratios. Then I want to hit some, uh, it was talked about in this article, but it was, it's only really visible on the chart. So I kind of want to describe what's going on in this chart with the Metcalf's law, the NVM ratio. Um, and the fact that it's indicating pretty, pretty serious bearish sentiment. Um, and then I want to finish up with, uh, a bunch of hopium and uh, talk about where I think um, that MVM ratio may be falling short and I think we can expect it to diverge from the uh, from being a good metric for the overall economic activity that's happening and why so first let's start out let's talk about MVM uh, this is a if you don't remember Metcalf, Metcalf's law just a refresher, it's the, it's the idea that the value of a network is proportional to the square of the number of users. And the NVT ratio attempts to measure that using the, um, was it daily volume? I think it's daily transaction volume, if I'm not mistaken. And then the NVM is the daily active addresses, like it talked about in this. So, and one interesting thing, the uh, fund strat um said in their article because there are there are articles specifically about nvt and nvm uh that i have not read on the podcast i don't believe i think i decided not to um when i was digging into those because they're so chart heavy um it really it's really hard to get through it in audio um so uh but particularly um uh, what's his name from fundstrat oh, what is that guy Everybody knows him. Thomas Lee. Thomas Lee from Fundstrat was talking about how um, Metcalf's Law basically correlated with 94% of what the Bitcoin price movement uh, was up until um, November of 2017. Well, this was said in November of 2017, so we don't, we don't technically know um, his position on it um, at this point. Uh, but... Um, so it's a bit of a question. The chart with the MVM ratio is not pretty. And let me explain why. So we're going to compare. Um, if you've been listening or reading Turtemeister's recent tweets about the kind of the log bull and uh, bear trends that have happened over um, Bitcoin's history, he actually talks about three major bull markets. Um, and so he counts the bubble in 2013 and the bubble in 2014 as one bull market um, with basically a eight-month bear trap in between. And I kind of agree with his assessment that that makes sense, particularly if you look at the log chart, you see that the correction did not occur to back to that, um, uh, that straight log line uh, until 2015. But specifically the NVM ratio when we're talking about this. If you go back to 2013 during that bubble when the price peaked at, um, what was it, 
$260 or something like that. I can't remember exactly. I think it was 266 was the one that I was looking at and uh, fascinated by. And then it dropped down to, uh, I think he's got it in his like $80, $70, something like that. So when it peaked in 2013, the NVM ratio was so sharply increasing. And it went all the way, almost all the way up to 0.5. So this ratio, by the way, just for clarification, this is all in relation to zero. Zero is equilibrium here. So a negative 0.8 suggests a uh, multiple in the oversold ratio, and a positive 0.8 suggests a multiple in the overbought ratio and ready to go down. So we went all the way up to almost 0.5 during the um, 2013 bubble. And then almost immediately, within a month or two, it dropped significantly all the way down into negative territory. It was negative 0.1, nearing negative 0.2 um, uh, in the middle of that crash. And this was immediately after. So, And then it began to increase again as we entered 2014. And then that second bubble, uh, right behind the first one, peaked just over 0.8. So well in the overbought territory. And it dumped for, you know, half a year-ish, maybe a little bit more. But the NVM ratio dropped with it significantly. It came all the way back down to zero before we had this little bear, tra I mean, this little bull trap um, for a couple of months towards the third quarter of 2014. And, um, uh, and, then, and then that's when it, we were still just so overbought that we needed more consolidation, and we dumped even further into 2015. But the key element there was that the, the NVM ratio, when we finally found a bottom in 2015, the NVM ratio had gone all the way down to negative 0.6. Um, and it actually further declined throughout 2015, despite the fact that we had found the price bottom and had started going up at that point, um, but negative uh, 0.6. So it was suggesting deeply oversold, and we saw that exact same thing in the price action. But we have not seen that yet at all with the um, correction that we have seen so far. Um, and uh, the during the peak, uh, actually it was just after the peak, it was on that first major bounce that we saw the MVM ratio um, reach its reach its highest point. Uh, the NVM ratio went almost all the way to 0.8. We're right around 0.7, maybe a little bit higher. But since then, it has only come back down in this nine-month bear market. We're pretty much sitting at 0.6 right now. So that's 0.6 and overbought, which is not very indicative of uh, any kind of a bull market in the next little while. So short term to midterm, going just by the NVM ratio uh, would suggest we still have, uh, we could have quite a bit of correction left to make here. Um, uh, that being said, um, I cannot say whether or not it's happening now, um, but if we're talking about daily active addresses, and daily transaction volume, 
uh, which is the NVT and the NVM ratios, um, that does not take into account anything off chain, or at least not to the degree to the degree that it would apply to actual economic activity. So the increased use of custodial services that just use cold storage, which he actually explains there towards the end. Um, let me let me just find that real quick here. Neither does it. There, there we go. So um, I'll just read this whole little sentence here. It doesn't take into account transaction amounts, nor the difference between old and new addresses. It doesn't discount spam attacks. It doesn't acknowledge limitations to the block size, and neither does it consider institutions coming into the market who build derivatives on Bitcoin that rely on a small amount of high-value cold storage addresses. So that's one thing to remember in particular, considering, especially considering when we're talking about the institutional investors and infrastructure that's being built out, a lot of these things are not off, they are, I mean, they are all off-chain solutions almost entirely. Uh, even, even with the way Coinbase has been consolidating and batching how they manage their back end has resulted in fewer daily active addresses for their users. Um, so I think as we become more efficient at using the uh, blockchain, this metric will diverge. It will kind of divorce itself from being the actual measure of quote-unquote Metcalfe's law of the number of users that we're talking about here that are investing in the network and using the network. Um, and backed, the BAKKT, the, that I'm sure everybody's heard about it. I think I mentioned it on the podcast a couple of times about the um, ICE, the Intercontinental Exchange, um, is unveiling a new exchange that will be, uh, I think they said somewhere around September, late this year, somewhere like that. Um, uh, and they're partnering with Microsoft and Starbucks and a bunch of other companies, and it's going to be an exchange for institutional investors where they uh, they provide custodial services, and both investors and companies can buy and sell Bitcoin through this exchange and offer services, uh, specifically payment processing services, through this exchange. So um, they'd be able to technically accept Bitcoin and it would immediately sell on this exchange, providing dollars to whatever company was partnering and you know, using this payment processor. So this is a huge deal. It's a massive growth to the infrastructure, the reach, the liquidity, and just, just the blanket accessibility to the crypto market. But it appears from everything that I have read that this is going to just be a custodial service, which means none of this activity is going to show up, or at least a tiny, tiny fraction of what's happening with this service is going to actually show up on the blockchain. And I think that's inevitable, just in the same way that uh, the number of IP addresses now don't really coincide with... You can't just measure the number of IP addresses with the number of devices. Like, there was a divorcing of that static... that that stat, if you compare to the 1980s, and let's go with two metrics that we wanted to give a ratio for. Let's say the number of uh, TCP IP connections um, and compare that to the amount of data transferred and or the number of devices online. 
I would cons- I would imagine I obviously don't actually have not found any real data on this, but I would definitely venture to guess that the differences in that ratio then versus today is pretty pretty steep and for the for the reason that every single device that came on uh in the 80s was going to be something that had its own public ip address and in terms of data um obviously the amount able to be sent over that single connection um was uh was nothing in compared today. I mean, you're looking at thousands of multiples for what a connection could do can do now um, versus then. And um, though I think that's a little bit, that's sort of akin to uh, what can happen with the Lightning Network as far as a second layer, but not exactly. I don't. I don't think the analogy works perfectly well. But I think it does. I think it is more indicative of things like devices because now we essentially have homes and small networks all over the place like starbucks has one public ip address but every customer that comes in and out of starbucks has their own local area ip address so um because of that you can't just look at public addresses on the internet and then think that you're counting the devices that metric no longer is counting users and devices on the internet um and I think we will begin to see that exact same thing. I don't think this will be relevant forever. And it's a big question is, has this already become, uh, you know, 20% off the mark? Like how much is the MVM still applicable to today? Because we, we've already maxed out the base blockchain layer and we are beginning to take all of these um, measures to be more efficient with the use of the blockchain and there are a lot of off-chain custodial services that allow you to do transactions and exchange Bitcoin with each other when nothing is actually moving on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, and you may not even have your own unique address. And then we have Lightning off-chain solution. We have um, where one channel might mean 200, 300, 1,000 transactions, and it doesn't even look like an active address because, you know, you set up the channel two weeks ago. Um of course, I think the active address is actually over a 30-day period, so technically that one would fall in. But again, it's not it's not showing up as a thousand transactions, even though maybe that's what's going on in the channel. Then we've got channel factories. I mean, obviously that's not on the network now. And as far as one caveat with the Lightning Network, I am not saying that this has happened yet. I am saying that I think we will inevitably get there because even though we have like a hundred Bitcoin channel capacity um, or network capacity on the Lightning network right now um i still think the actual transactions and economic activity that is happening on it is pretty much negligible when we're talking about this ratio at the moment but it will not always be and it is continuing to grow very very fast we actually like tripled in july the amount of bitcoin um in the lightning network so uh, but then again, we've got channel factories that are on the horizon, which would be something like an 8 of 8 address that's just single address, and we're talking about a group of nodes that are bringing up and dropping channels, maybe in the 50 or hundreds of channels, and then each one of those channels maybe having hundreds or thousands of transactions. As this thing grows out, it's going to be representative of more and more activity that does not get factored into this. So... I think it will have to continue to change and update based on this. 
um, and to attempt to apply these new statistics. So even though we are still heavily overbought according to the NVM ratio, I am not so certain that that is as valid of a metric as it was in 2014 for where we are going in the short term. I think it probably is still indicative. In fact, the um, to some degree, I think we probably are still overbought. Um, but I don't know how long that's going to stay that way. Uh, one thing that has surprised me with recent price moves um, is that we were really slowing down the volatility and stretching out these moves since the December peak. Um, and if you can just look at the chart and see, it's a really sharp, tall spike, slightly shorter, longer um, bump, and then an even longer uh, final bump. And now we've got this really kind of sharp up and sharp back down here right at the end. Um, so uh, that's a little bit interest. I wasn't expecting to see such a sharp move. I thought we would just kind of be sideways as we appeared to have some sort of a floor happening in the price, and this was going to all happen a lot slower. But it kind of seems volatility might be coming back a little bit. Um, and, of course, um, one last little bit of hopium, we have got so much good news. I mean, so much good news. I'm backed the stuff going on with the Lightning Network, everything that he listed in the, um, uh, it heard Demeester listed in the article, uh, the fact that there's a lot of increased uncertainty, which we have talked about, the yield from money held, that is the very purpose of money and a store of value, is to decrease uncertainty for um, uh, markets that are weak or out of balance. Uh, so, even though we have not seen it yet, if there are, if we do see capital flight from some of these like really badly managed economies and monetary policies, it could absolutely result in an influx of money into the Bitcoin ecosystem. And I think there's tons of overbought altcoins. There is so much value stuck in altcoins that could easily come flooding back to Bitcoin. I mean, not necessarily all of them. I don't think every altcoin is just going to go to zero. Uh, but there is so much crap out there that just is. I think it could. I think it could prop up the Bitcoin price by having uh, the overall crypto economy market cap not change very much or even decrease. But just seeing an increase in the Bitcoin dominance of that market giving it a better price floor because people escape alts and go back into Bitcoin. Um, so, And I think some of that will be happening. And then, of course, we've got the Bitcoin ETF on the horizon. Yet again, something that will be a ton of economic activity that is not on-chain, where we do not see it we do, it's data that would not be applicable to the NVM ratio, even though it would, in fact, mean more institutional and uh, retail investors having access to Bitcoin. So um, there's a lot of factors at play that I don't think make any of this straightforward. And unfortunately, I think only looking backwards will make it obvious what's going on and how much it still applies today. So uh, hopefully that gives you this good little bit of hopium there at the end. It's not, it's not all bad news. Um, and there is still so much stuff going on. 
And if you've been here through some of these past bear markets, you know it's it's hilarious to watch it because you just get good news after good news after good news, development after development after development, and the price just keeps falling. <laughs> this this happened so many times before, and people I see people freaking out on Twitter. They're like, "Why is it not responding to the good news?" And I was like, "It is. It's falling. That's what happens." <laughs> I've done this a couple of times now, and that's what happens in the bear markets. Good news comes out, and the price drops. <laughs> uh, business as usual. Welcome. To the crypto economy. Okay, uh, uh, with that, we'll go ahead and close this here. Um, I think I hit everything I wanted to hit. Uh, really good article, um, hitting a lot of points from Turtemeister. And uh, if you are not following him on crypto Twitter, uh, please do so, uh, and on Medium as well. Always has great work. Um, that's at Turtemeister, T-U-U-R-D-E-M-E-E-S-T-E-R. Obviously, I will tag him in the Twitter post and on the show notes uh, and of course follow me at the crypto economy on medium and twitter as well and i'm actually at crypto economy on mastodon as well if you don't know mastodon it's an open source um very twitter like um social network uh, and with all the people getting banned and what seems to literally be a political opinion crackdown happening on social media. Uh, my, it's, my reliance on Twitter, on crypto Twitter, has kind of made me a little bit concerned, I guess you could say. Um, so I want to also pump the fact that I am on Mastodon. I have been, I just haven't really been posting, and I'm going to try to post a lot more often on Mastodon now. And you can actually find the link to sign up on Mastodon uh, in my Twitter profile, like in my little description. So if you follow that link, you'll automatically, you'll just register on Mastodon and you'll automatically be following me. So if you want to have a backup um, that may be more reliable um, and is a federated system uh, and open source, um, then uh, Mastodon seems to be a good a solution at the moment and I'm going to try to lower my dependence on Twitter um, but of course you can always follow me on Podbean cryptoeconomy.podbean.com subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave me a review I've actually just noticed that some people finally gave me some reviews here and I really appreciate that guys uh, that's awesome I got seven five-star reviews hey <laughs> And uh, I actually think it's made a pretty significant difference in the exposure of the podcast since that happened. That's why I actually went to check iTunes because I hadn't done it in a couple of weeks. Um, so that's awesome, guys. Thank you so much. And share it if you can with everybody that you know in the crypto economy who wants to learn about all this great stuff. And um, obviously, uh, if you would like to support the show, I will also have my Bitcoin address available in the show notes, on the Twitter post, and on the Mastodon post. And last but not least, we have the Trezor affiliate link. If you are finally getting around to getting your hardware wallet for all of your crypto and Bitcoin, don't forget to use my affiliate link, which is no cost to you, but sends a couple of bucks my way to help out the show. Thank you so much, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will catch you all back here tomorrow with another episode of the Crypto Economy Podcast. Take it easy, guys. 